0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Quacks Podcast. So today I have on Danny Roddy, the myth, the legend. (laughs) Danny is a uh, a Ray Pete guy, if you've never heard of him. He interviews Ray Pete and Georgie Dinkoff quite often on his own podcast. It's a great show. Uh, So this is going to be a bit of a Ray Pete subject matter episode, that's for sure. I first talked to Danny back in 2015 or so when he was getting his Patreon going and he was starting to do coaching. Now, at the time, Danny was well-known for his book, which was titled Hair Like a Fox, A Bioenergetic View of Pattern Hair Loss. Uh, I'd read the book at the time, and it was an alternative explanation of balding. I found it very interesting. Uh, the mainstream explanation is genetics and androgens, of course, but Danny came at it from this Ray Peat perspective, which was uh, really cool. It was really refreshing, and it got a lot of people's imaginations fired up. Um, I still think his book is a great introduction to some of Ray's concepts and how they can be applied to physical symptoms. So if you are interested in reading it, I will have it in the show notes. Now, Danny, uh, he's got a really interesting backstory, uh, which we will get into. He was actually in a band called Dakota that was signed by Island Records back in the early 2000s. I think he was the bassist, but there are music videos of him like playing music and stuff it's it's really cool you can still find it um anyways all that is to say you know i feel very privileged that he came on the podcast and the knowledge he shares of his experience with pete uh, and the principles it's just awesome so enjoy the show all right everybody welcome to the quacks podcast it is my pleasure to introduce danny roddy onto the show feels like it's been something that should have happened a long time ago but i'm glad that it's happening now danny welcome to the show
1: Better late than never. thanks for having me on Lucas,
0: yeah, man. I'm super happy to have you on. We were chatting a little bit uh, before we started about uh, how, you know, we're, we're kind of have some oG roots back in the day on your Patreon. I was one of your patreon's uh, subscribers, and I was asking you what tests I should get uh, to follow on the repeat path. Like should I, you know, and you were telling me like prolactin and uh, <laughs> can't I remember what I appreciate
1: it. yeah, those uh, I love lab tests because. I think they take, uh, they ground a person's health problem and kind of empirical information about their own body. And so whenever somebody is saying, oh, I have this problem, I have that problem, I think it's a great way to cut through a lot of nonsense and get to the heart of what's going on. For example, take prolactin. I've talked to people that were meticulously editing like every little bit about their diet for months. And for what, whatever reason, they were interested in lab, getting lab tests. And then maybe like three or four months later, they decided to get a, a prolactin test. And that number maybe should be around five. And their level will be like 50. And so if they had known that previously, it would have saved them a lot of heartache and a lot of t- wasted time, you know? And so that's, that's why I love them so much.
0: Yeah, yeah. I definitely, uh, the tests give you a uh grounding in in what you're actually doing. I've been doing microbiome tests. Have you ever done one of those?
1: Uh, I went through many naturopaths and they probably asked me to do one of those, but I can't recall ever actually doing one to be honest.
0: Yeah, maybe maybe we'll chat about that. So, before we get started uh, with with that, let's can we give like a brief background of your health journey uh, because I know you did carnivore for a year and you were in a band uh, and that kind of shaped how you <laughs> viewed the the body and health. So, let's let's go through a little bit of that for people who don't know.
1: Yeah, this is like a 45 minute story. So, um <laughs> I, I think it starts shortly after high school and I think I just have an issue with stress like my whole time in school like even if we were given presentations in the front of the class my legs would be shaking, you know, uncontrollably even if I knew the subject, like I was prepared. And then the same thing with tests, like I'd fail tests that I had studied just a huge amount for. And so uh, I think I was taking like a test senior year or something and I was like scratching my head and a bunch of hair fall and dandruff was happening on the table. And I think that kind of started this fear of losing my hair, even though it was like completely unjustified at the time. And, uh, okay. So fast forward, I live, I graduate high school. I start playing in bands and I finally get an opportunity to be in a band that is a bunch of members are all really dedicated. And so, uh, I'm trying to figure out how to make this story not 45 minutes. Anyways, well, <laughs> we 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 get signed to Island Def Jam. Uh, I start taking my health really seriously. I uh, don't want to be the only bald guy in the band, and so I start modifying my diet in a bunch of different ways. And for whatever reason, I'm just convinced that the the typical hair uh, story you hear about hair loss is not accurate. Like it doesn't make sense to me. And so I go through like veganism, vegetarianism, veganism, carnivore, like meat and water style, carnivore, like the Sean a la Sean Baker um, or Charles Washington. Mm. And probably like 2008 and nine, like a long time ago. And then I think I had like some in-between years where I had no idea what I was doing. Maybe I was like including starches into my nutrition and things like that. And then I think I came upon Ray's work maybe late 2011 or no, no, no. Late 2010, early 2011. And then it was a big buy-in, you know, because I had no idea what he was talking about with anything, but he was talking about hormones like prolactin. And I had just so happened I had a, like a 15 nanograms per milliliter prolactin test that a GP had taken a long time ago. And anyways, so, so I go through all these dietary different modalities. I feel, I feel like all of them fail miserably and I'm very good at sticking to certain diets. I could literally eat tree bark, you know, if I thought it was the healthiest diet, (laughs) And then I reached Ray Pete, and he's like this merger of all these worlds from like philosophy to nutrition to being a humble, cool guy just in general, kind of mysterious, you know. And I just haven't found anything more compelling than his work, his idea. And and I'm I'm reluctant to say it's his. You know, it's Otto Warburg, Albert St. Georgie, William F. Koch, a lot of other – Hans Selye. He, he's just kind of an aggregation of all those people and, and adding things to to his own, to, to those ideas. Mm-hmm. So, I, I'm just enamored with him. I'm enamored. I know he's just like a man, you know, but I just think he's a a, a person you don't come around very often. And the, the dude saved my life. So, I'm just super thankful to him. And I, I see him as a teacher to learn a lot of things about life.
0: Yeah. So, what, when you say he saved your life, I don't know if I know that part of it.
1: <laughs> I mean, like a, like a, I don't know what I would have done. Uh, like so, after carnivore, I started including starches and things, and my digestion was just a complete nightmare. Like I had just like chronic diarrhea, twenty four seven, and I was living with people, and I was like running to the bathroom every like th- 20, 30 minutes. Ooh, yikes! And and then I was I, I know there's a spectrum of depression. You get like from suicidal to euphoria, you know. Mm-hmm. But I, I think I was just miserable, and so. I mean, saving my life in that I hadn't tried everything when I got to him. I was like, this is a whole new paradigm that I have no idea about, and I've, and it, it seems like it's going to take a long time to learn what he's talking about. And so he just reinvigorated my spirit of learning, and uh, gave showed me a road that I didn't know existed, you know. And so again, just. I just don't know where I'd be without him just because he's gave me so much purpose and meaning uh, to my life, I think,
0: yeah, so if someone has no idea who Ray is, and maybe this is a tall task, uh, but could you summarize <laughs> what you think are the most important or relevant aspects of his work are to understand because I definitely have some listeners who you know they're they're like listening to me, and they're like, okay, you know I, I came on with the microbiome stuff, and I don't really understand you know what Ray Pete's all about. <sighs>
1: Yeah, that would be a really tall task. Well, so one, he's eighty-six. I think he just turned eighty-six in last month. Wow. So he is very old, you know, and has lots of experience. You know, I think of myself of having perspective in the health world, and I'm thirty-six. So I like getting into health stuff in my early mid twenties, early twenties, and then seeing different fads come and go, and come and go, and come and go. You know, Uh, so just imagine how much perspective he has (laughs) about things. Uh, But I think his his big claim to fame is. Similar to what Otto Warburg and Albert Saint Georgie said that a cell needs energy for all of its like day-to-day tasks, but it also needs energy to maintain its structure. And then cells form tissues, and tissues form organs, and organs form you. And so that's kind of like his holistic perspective is uh, focusing in on the energetics of the cell and how to like optimize that process in a the bad environment that we're in. And uh, and like a maybe a easier way to think about that is like trying to mimic the metabolism of like a healthy young child. And I don't know how many healthy young ch- children there are these days, but maybe back in the 50s or something, we could think about <laughs> healthy 10-year-old. And I, I think the outstanding features of youth, it's like a high pulse rate, high temperature, a warm body temperature, obviously lots of energy, creativity, um, not like in a, a heroic effort to get to sleep at night, you know, as a kid. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, just all of these things that are youth-oriented features that are lost during the adultification process. And so that's the gist of it, just like the energetics or bio the bioenergetics or like the um, how energy animates life, I think is the short of it.
0: Yeah, I think it, it might be useful also to compare it with what he is uh, kind of speaking against, uh, because a, lo- a lot of his newsletters and his articles are pointing out like, this is what this is the way people think or or doctors or, or whatever they think about health. this is the what they what they think about the body, and this is actually the truth so may, maybe you could kind of flesh that out a little bit,
1: yeah, I guess the the doctor view um or the heroic cut burn poison model of like of restoring health <laughs> i I think that's more ge- genetic focus, so like the genes um they determine the health of the cell and that determines the health of the tissues and the organs and and you. And so I think he's saying like similar to what Hans Selye said, like the the system will try to adapt given the circumstances. And so like, if you don't eat for a long time, your adrenals are going to release first uh, adrenaline to mobilize glycogen out of the liver to restore the blood sugar. And then when that's low, it's going to break down the tissues via cortisol to to bring up the blood sugar and so i think of life is just this like long series of adaptations and that that's just like not super compatible with i guess the modern medical approach that you're a rusty old car and you're just breaking down every year and you need to be like um, you're not biologically complete without pharmaceutical intervention or, or something like, that. I don't even, their stuff so crazy. I don't even, I don't even know what they think. And so it's just like the farthest thing away from like a holistic view of what a, what a person is and how to maintain health and how to regain health. And so, and then also in the answer to the question you didn't ask, but Ray's therapies are so like simple. And, and that's another reason I really enjoy his content. It's not like uh, overwhelming Obviously, the system is very complex, but I th- I don't think the therapies are very complex, and we can talk about that. But I just I love the the obviously the system is complex, but the the therapies they don't have to be the most complicated things in the world.
0: Yeah, I, I have a real similar story to you. You know, I was kind of jumping from thing to things in a similar way, trying this diet. I mean, at one point I was following this like hair mineral testing guy back in two thousand ten, and like his diet was like vegetables and meat and. The only carb you could have was blue corn because blue corn was somehow special, and <laughs> and I just remember when I started reading Ray Pete, it's like he brought everything together. You know, he yeah. had, he had this bottom up, top down kind of like this is you know this is where energy is. This is like you have these two systems of energy. You have this thyroid-driven energy and you have this like stress-driven energy. And this thyroid-driven energy creates complexity in life and that moves you towards creativity. And um, it's it's, it's a very forward-moving type of energy. And then there's this other energy, this stress energy that kind of uh, makes you come in on yourself it makes you defensive it makes you angry it makes you 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 know and so it was it's just like this oh i'm trying to go towards that direction and not this other direction and he was then able to take different neurochemicals you know dopamine versus serotonin he was able to take different supplements and fit them into those boxes and it was like oh this is so much easier to understand after he put this all together
1: yeah you explain it better than i do (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was very that was very good. Yeah, complexity I, uh, versus kind of a slime like metabolism primitive stuff. Yeah, that's 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 very important, and that's I get that gets to the heart of everything that he's talking about.
0: Yeah. So one of the things that I loved that he introduced me to were that it's like these things were stressful that I didn't know were stressful, uh, like X rays. Like I knew X rays weren't good for you, but I didn't understand that it was like no there's no amount of x-rays that are good for you until ray ray said look you know at a cellular level x-rays at any level are not good so what are some of the things that ray says are stressful which normal people uh, you know other than x-rays outside of those who study health would wouldn't wouldn't know about like like do you ever mention like oh this is stressful and you see surprise from your viewers or, or normies or whatnot
1: yeah, there. Are, I guess there are a bunch of different types of stress, like a like a calcium to phosphate ra- ratio of the food a person eats, and so if they eat significantly more phosphorus than calcium, they'll like activate their parathyroid horm- uh, glands to release parathyroid hormone, and so that's like a type of stress, you know. And and so of course it's one big system, and it's a complex biochemical web of triggering other hormones, like parathyroid hormone doesn't just act act alone or anything like that, but mm-hmm. The way I I really think simply about it, and it goes back to what we were talking about with the blood sugar, like if the blood sugar gets too low, that's like a basic trigger for increasing adrenaline and uh, is the short-term stress hormone and cortisol is the long-term stress hormone. And like cortisol activating aromatase and turning testosterone into estrogen and then estrogen activating the pituitary to release prolactin or more ACTH or FSH, LH or whatever. But like, and so it, it, I, I think these systems are like trying to um they're just being chronically activated more and more and more as we get older you know and then all of us uh, can uh know how how more amplified the stress response is since of like march of 2020 you know like mm-hmm. eh, almost everybody i talk to these days like seems to be just dis- dis- doing a lot worse than they were in 2019 you know like yeah. All of our lives have gotten way more stressful with all these bizarre rules and mandates and things like that. So it's just, uh, and then thyroid is at the heart of all of that. And so keeping the energy metabolism up, up or keeping the thyroid up helps a person resist the uh, destructive effects of uh, stress. So keep, keeping the adrenaline low, keeping the cortisol low, et cetera, et cetera. It, and so it's kind of like a seesaw, like a metabolic tug of war of energy versus the stress substances.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, if someone was getting into like Ray Pete's philosophy, are there like if you noticed that are there are different phases that people go through? Meaning, like you you don't usually start by like rubbing progesterone doses on your balls, <laughs> right? Like that's that's like a level four like skill or whatever. <laughs> because I'm sure you've talked to lots of people who you've introduced Ray to. So, I, I mean, are there different phases?
1: Yeah, I think everybody goes through that. I mean, if you stick to something long enough, uh, especially something as deep as kind of Ray's work, I mean, read Mind and Tissue and see how much I don't. I mean, I don't understand 90 percent of what's in that book. You know, it's very complex philosophy, and he'll say neo-Kantian, and you'll have to look up what that means. Like, what is at all these philosophical things? And so, yeah, I think uh, I think somebody will have a problem. They'll say maybe they tried low-carb, or they tried veganism. And that didn't work out as expected. Or they feel they just had like some outstanding symptom like coldness in their extremities or something. And then somehow see Georgie and I talking on a podcast or something. And uh and yeah, there are the conversations are just all over the place. From somebody like yourself who is just like long, long haul Ray person, you know, like <laughs> been all around a long time, uh, understands the details and people like just modifying their nutrition for the first time ever, you know, yeah. and trying to think out, think of what are, what is, what are, what are the things that are going to provide the most like maximum benefit for just kind of the littlest amount of effort, you know? And it's always amazing because sometimes somebody that's like in despair or like suicidal or something will take some T3 and the next time I'll talk to them is they'll have a completely different perspective on life. And they'll be excited to try all these different types of experiments and stuff. And I'm thinking to myself, like, last time I was trying to convince you not to kill yourself. Like, and now you're just the T3 has energized this person enough to start wanting to figure all of this stuff out. And so that that's happened enough times to where it's just like a, a testament of what Ray is talking about. Like, getting the system enough energy complexifies and... Uh, activates the person's own orienting reflex to, to figure out the problems th- themselves. And the, the best thing is when a person is like, uh, Again, I don't need to talk to you anymore. And that's, that's like, <laughs> that's like the best situation because they're just self navigating and they're figuring out their own problems by themselves, which is really the only way I think a person can do it.
0: Yeah. So is that the best way to start with thyroid or, or do you think, well, d- d- just dietary stuff is the
1: easiest, you know, um, like that calcium to phosphate ratio. That sounds so simple, but I think that can make a big difference. Uh, like we talked about in the beginning of the call, like getting lab tests can like Ray has a quote. It's like, you can't know where you're going unless you know where you are and getting lab tests is a w- great way to ground where a person is at the, m- the moment, you know? And so just good nutrition, maybe some vitamin D, which is like a extremely hot topic these days.
0: Mm.
1: And, uh, I don't know the carrot salad or something could really, shift a person in a good direction, I think.
0: So re- remind me again about the calcium phosphate thing because I, I haven't read about that in a while.
1: The short of it is that an excess of phosphorus can turn on parathyroid hormone. And I didn't know this till fa- fairly recently. It's like one of the things Ray writes about a lot, but maybe on the last live stream with Georgie and Ray, we, I was like, Ray is, um, do all roads lead to parathyroid hormone? Do, like all stress lead to that? And he gave a pretty committal yeah to that, Question, you know, and so, I th- I think that's why it's a good starting place. Like the calcium is a powerful suppressor of the parathyroid hormone. Vitamin D is a powerful suppressor. Of vitamin K, magnesium, and and things like that. And so I think if you I could send you uh, papers on it, but I think high parathyroid hormone is associated with like the so-called metabolic syndrome, depression, like every. Every problem you can possibly imagine, like parathyroid hormone, it's related to it in some way, I think.
0: Okay. And you get phosphorus from your diet, right? I mean, uh, remind me of some of those foods. I know meat is on there. I know beans are on there. Uh, What else is there?
1: Those are the main ones, vegetables, beans, meats, um, there's some grains and things like that. Like You have to go out of your way to get calcium. Like That's that's one of the big things about Ray's work, I think, is trying to incorporate milk or Parmigiano-Reggiano cheese or something like that. And then if those don't work, using eggshells or something like that, I, uh, and, and I and I'm not just saying that because Ray said it or I read it in one of his articles. Like I that I didn't tolerate milk at all for a long time, and uh, this is another thirty minute story. But I, I I solved a lot of significant problems that I had been carrying around on carnivore for years with just with supplemental calcium. Like I was shocked how powerful it was. And I, the funniest thing was I thought it was like the most worthless nutrient ever. Like, <laughs> mm. like I out of my way not to get any of it. And here you have Ray, uh, who I – somebody I really respected saying it was one of the most important things a person could achieve every day is getting a good amount of calcium.
0: Yeah, that that's interesting because – A lot of our, you know, if you ever get spring water, it always has a decent amount of calcium in it. And I wonder if part of the reason why we're not getting as much calcium as we used to is most people don't drink spring water. You know, they drink tap water or distilled water or RO water, um, and then they add minerals back in. But I wonder if part of what we were meant to have in a balancing way is because we drank out of rivers and stuff like that for so long.
1: Certainly possible. And I, I don't know, if I forgot if it was Georgia or Ray, but I think I have never dived into it. But I think there's research on like hard water and the health benefits in different areas. And so I, I don't think that's like a a, a wild guess. I think, you're, I think you're actually right.
0: Yeah. All right. So let's talk about uh, environment, because that's definitely something I've found is almost more important than diet in some ways. Like if you're in a bad environment, what you eat... Well, it, it it doesn't necessarily always matter if you're in a bad environment, but uh how important do you think how how important do you think environment is to your health? Like have you found it a really big contributing factor?
1: 100%, yeah. Um so the, the from Danny, the person on the call like talking to people, like there's obviously situations where a person hates their lover or hates their job or whatever, but it's never it's never my role to like, say <laughs> you get a divorce <laughs> or quit your job <laughs> or whatever, yeah. but those, uh, those things pop up all the time, you know? Uh, and then in my limited experience, uh, I, to- I, I talk about San Francisco all the time. And I don't think if you had given me an infinite supply of the perfect diet, whatever that is, and the perfect supply of thyroid and stuff, I don't think I could have been healthy there. Like it was not a good place. And, it, and so I concur with what you said. I, I that that's a, that's a really important thing, but also it's like one of the least actionable things for a lot of people. Mm. Why, so, why was it
0: so bad in San Francisco? <laughs> this is a, a long story. Um, the kind of, uh, yeah,
1: juxtaposition. It, yeah. Like the juxtaposition of like extremely poor to really wealthy inflated egos. There are just out of control um, everybody thinking they're doing God's work when the whole place is like a total nightmare to, to be in. Like, have you ever been to the tenderloin in San Francisco or anything? Uh,
0: I don't think I have I don't, I don't even know what that is.
1: It, it's just like a poor area where you can get like, like I've, I've went to this, the train there and I've dodged punches twice. Like just some random people trying to punch you, wow. like go into the train there. It, it's just a miserable place. But the, the worst part was the, the technorati, uh, what's the right word, intelligentsia types mm. that that were there, thought it was just like the best place on the planet. So again, it's just this confluence of insanity, and I, I just went there because I uh, I had friends there, and I always talk about it because I think it made a huge impression on me of what I didn't like, because I, I don't think I really knew what I didn't like about the world until I moved there. And then coming to Mexico was like a f- breath of fresh air because... Mexico is such a cool spot and Mexicans are so dope. So, <laughs> uh, it, it, yeah, it just made a big impression on me. And, yeah, there are, again, I could go through a 20-point list of uh, what I didn't like. We'll, we'll talk,
0: talk a little <laughs> bit about uh, Mexico. What, uh, what makes it so great? And, you know, what made you choose Mexico?
1: So, uh, yeah, at risk of sounding like a fanboy, Ray was always just talking so uh, favorably about it, you know. And Ray lives about four hours away from me in a place called Michoacan. And it's uh, so I so I one I could not afford to live in San Francisco. It was like a for a room in some house. It would be like I don't know fifteen hundred bucks, maybe two thousand dollars. And then if you wanted a solo studio, you're looking at like three thousand or thirty five hundred or maybe four thousand dollars. Wow. And so I was like, do I want like ninety percent of my paycheck going to the place I live? Like that seems pretty brutal. So one, I couldn't afford it. Two, I was critical of the U.S. So in my mind, I was like, well, why don't you live outside of the U.S. if you're critical of it? And then three, I'm not joking. I, I thought if another 9-11 happened in like 2016, uh, I thought the wheels would come off hmm. because that was around the Trump-Hillary election. And I'm pretty apolitical, you know, and especially in, that's evidenced on the podcast. Hmm. But I thought people were acting so insane at that time that I was like, this place... Uh, like even though I play devil's advocate at dinner parties and stuff, that was becoming less and less welcome mm. uh, with the election. <laughs> that was like, okay, Danny, you were a novelty before, but now you're making people irate at the dinner table. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> so I was like, okay, time to time to get out of here because I don't I don't value just appeasing people. I value the developing as a person and once i realized that was impossible there i was like and with all the other bad things about it i was like i want to get out of here
0: yeah so so you were at dinner parties and and you just walk in and be like hey anybody read atlas shrugged that's a great <laughs> book in san francisco you're you're dropping the foundation
1: <laughs> it's just uh it's like i'm sure you experienced this but it's very very intolerant of any other idea than the one the person is presenting and that was just You'd encounter that over and over and over again. Like if you said anything that they didn't like, it was like a, uh, you were some alt-right neo-Nazi. It was just the, it's just the weirdest culture, and everybody has the same views, so nobody knows that it's weird. You know, like mm-hmm. they're all in the Scientology cult together, so nobody, nobody knows that it's, it's odd that they think that way.
0: Yeah, it it is very strange. I mean, I I'm liberal. Um, and so, you know, I, I used to vote Democrat and I used to be a part of them. But it's like, well, they're not liberal anymore. So now where do I go? And, and the, the other side's not liberal either. So uh, what what do I do? You know, it is. It's a very strange situation.
1: Exactly. Like I, uh, maybe in like 2009 or 10, um, there were some articles saying that like progressive liberal types would like march with neo-Nazis and say, hey, I really don't agree with what you're saying, but I'm going to be like damn sure you're going to say it, you know? Mm-hmm. But that is, I mean, think of that happening now. There's no way that would happen now, you know? And and so again, I am under the impression that the CIA and other forces have really shaped the culture in a different trajectory. And so I think that's what was making it so insane and crazy is just all these conflicting views that these people had held that made absolutely no sense when put together. yeah.
0: Yeah, it's kind of crazy right now. Well, let's uh, <laughs> let's get back on topic. What What do you think? Uh, so, speaking of environment, like, what do you think people can do? How can they start getting into a healthier environment? Because you said like it, it's one of the hardest things for people to change. You know, quit your job, get a different job, uh, break up with your spouse. You know, We're not advocating that for sure. But what can people start to do?
1: Yeah, a super easy thing might be buying like a two hundred fifty watt incandescent clear bulb and then a like a brooder. And uh, maybe putting that around a work area and shining it on your neck or something that that would be very useful. You know, that's a powerful anti-stress therapy that can pay big dividends. You know, light is no joke on how it can influence the metabolism and lower stress. And then other things, uh, I think it's good. Just, just good practice to like turn your phone off and stuff like, uh, I have an Acousticom 2 RF meter that measures EMF from phones and all sorts of devices. And like LTE phones give off the most wicked signal like you've ever heard, you know? And I've, ne- I've never measured a 5G phone. I'm sure it's even worse. But having those ar- around you all the time, all day, is probably a t- another type of stress. And and then doing the same with the computer, maybe plugging it into Ethernet and turning off Wi Fi on the router. Um, yeah, light, turning off the the. Uh, EMF stuff. Um, yeah, I'm sure there are other things. And cooking at home, I don't know if that counts as <laughs> making the environment better. Yeah, but that's a huge one. You know, I I'm almost really skeptical that somebody will ever fix a health problem if they don't cook. Like, I think that's almost an essential skill that you you have to have because. I mean, depending on other people for your food, it's such a basic need. And so that would be something to watch YouTube, on, YouTube videos on and try to figure out as fast as possible.
0: Yeah, it, it is. Uh, the whole cooking thing, it's funny because on the podcast, I'll talk about things to make yourself healthier. And I've been cooking for myself for like I don't know, like since I was like 15 years or something. And so I never even think about it. Like I don't even think like, oh, you should talk more about diet, Lucas, because people actually struggle with their diet, right? Like they actually go out to restaurants and eat, uh, you know, crappy food and stuff. And it's like, oh yeah, you guys should, should cook your food. It's like really good. That's a, that's a (laughs) foundation.
1: It's funny you say that because I feel exactly the same way. I think I started cooking maybe when I was like 13 or 14 and uh, like I just went in the kitchen and made a huge mess and was like cooking chicken and soybean oil and stuff like but But that was something I just kept doing as I was younger. And then now it's like, I don't even think about it, but I know that a lot of people depend on ordering out or whatever for their food. And I, I'm just like, uh, it, it like hits me in the face with how, uh, like how not, Again, I'm not. I'm not one of those people that everything has to be optimal or whatever. But like that is just. It's not a good situation to be in. I think a person has to figure out how to cook for themselves.
0: Yeah. You. So you mentioned soybean oil. Let's talk a little bit about the uh, the dreaded PUFA, polyunsaturated fatty acids. Um, Obviously, you know Ray was. I don't know if he was the first, but he was. He's a huge proponent of like just getting all the seed oils, all the vegetable oils out of your life, uh, sticking with you know coconut oil, butter. olive oil that one's not bad either but has your view of polyunsaturated fat has it changed at all over the years as you've done more research
1: not really uh the so i was always kind of hair focused you know that was like my big interest Mm -hmm. and even led me to ray you know i kind of skipped over that in the beginning um and so i think in like 2012 there's a paper by a guy named garza and his team and they did biopsies of men's scalps where it was balding. And the areas that were balding had accumulated a, a prostaglandin. And so prostaglandins are produced from so called essential fatty acids like linoleic acid, which is, can be converted into arachidonic acid in the liver. And then you can eat arachidonic acid as well. And so that to me, I was like, oh my God, like what, a, what are the PUFA not involved in? <laughs> like what, pr- what problem are they not involved in, you know? And the, I guess the way I think about them is just like, so so just like remove them out of the food supply completely. And obviously, you and I will still experience stress in our lives. And it seems like the pufa is just like an amplifier of stress. And so, and it's just kind of making the problem worse over time. And so, I the thing I just I, I think about is just limiting them over a long period of time. And I think in practicality, that means eating foods that you like that just don't contain a significant amount of polyunsaturated fat. And so it's not, I I like, again, I don't spend a significant amount of time worrying about the number. I just focus on foods that I like that just kind of naturally don't contain a lot of proof. And not to say anybody should do what I do or whatever, but, um, I'm kind of convinced that there's something to avoid for the long term it, within reason, you know.
0: Yeah, what about fish? Are you still pretty cuz I know Ray was pretty anti fish and fish oil. Um have you changed your mind on that at all or is it still pretty much the same?
1: Well, fish oil I think would I mean, the, there's benefits to the vitamins A and D and cod liver oil and stuff, but that DHA, there's a paper that says like in proportion to how much DHA is, or the docosahexaenoic acid is, uh, produces acrolein, <laughs> like mm. in, in proportion to that. And like nobody thinks acrolein is good. It's like a mitochondrial inhibitor, like promotes nitric oxide and things. And so there are, uh, I think that's like a, um, oh shoot, I don't want to talk out of turn here. But the the EPA and DHA invariably invariably lead to these toxic end products that interfere with mitochondrial respiration and things. So I think I think fish oil is fairly. It's fairly safe to say that that stuff is probably not helpful to most people. Although I think the eco um, uh, <laughs> yeah, pentanoic acid that that stuff can interfere with um, I think cyclooxygenase two, which makes prostaglandins, and so I, I think it does actually have an anti-inflammatory effect, but it also promotes lipid peroxidation things like that. And so I'm not I'm not saying it's uh, it could have kind of like an undercover anti-inflammatory effect for somebody, but like at a great expense, you know? Hmm. Uh, and then fish I'm in like central Mexico and in the desert. And so I wouldn't really trust any of the fish here. And even in Thailand or I don't know that that that's like seafood or whatever, but like, I I, I guess it's not a food that really appeals to me that much. And so I just kind of naturally avoid it, but I'm not like intentionally avoiding it because I hate, like I don't want the poof or whatever, but Um, I eat oysters. I mean,
0: almost every week, you know? Yeah. Did you, uh, did you ever do a fish oil experiment? Did you ever have, have that in your life for a while?
1: Oh yeah. I think, uh, kind of circa maybe, um, when was this? Maybe 2009, 2010, that was when the Rob Wolf fish oil calculator existed Hmm. and you'd put in like the problem you had and it would calculate some like insane amount of EPA and DHA. And I, I'm trying to remember correctly, but I think you know that um, blue ice fermented cod liver oil that like Weston A. Price foundation yes. sold? Mm-hmm. Like I remember spending a small fortune on that stuff and consuming way more than they were recommending to use. Like maybe like a fourth a cup, which was like half the bottle or something. Uh, but no, I, I like everybody. I mega dose that stuff because I thought it would be useful. And all it ever did was like, give me gallbladder inflammation and kind of like weird
0: diarrhea and stuff. And so, it never paid off. And it, I mean, yeah, never resulted in anything good. It is surprising how many people I've seen, and this is just anecdotal, obviously, but how many people said that they got some type of cancer and you look back in their past and maybe within a couple years before they were like doing mega doses of that, that, you know, fermented fish oil.
1: Well, who was the main person that said that Dr. Ron or whatever, uh, there, there was some big person in the Westney Price Foundation that I think he had cancer and he attributed it to his intake of cod liver oil. Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that that idea is less shocking these days, you know, because Paul Saladino's kind of um, popularity and stuff, and that's his message as well that the polyunsaturated fats are probably the worst. Uh, there's that, that quote from um, paper from 1909 to 1999: Soybean oil has increased a thousand percent. Uh, and, and then that guy Chris Knob he gives presentations on the toxicity of polyunsaturated fat. So that that idea is not a solely a Ray thing these days, you know. And so I think I think a lot more people have come around to that idea.
0: Yeah, I mean I, I thank God that Ray turned me onto that, and he had that whole fish oil article that was just so. Yeah it was so hard hitting. And I remember at the time, like I I never got super into fish oil, but I did a few experiments where I took like mega doses of DHA. And I remember my blood sugars were fantastic. Like they were just (laughs) so good. I'm a type one diabetic. And so they were just like super flat, super good. And my eyesight got super sharp, but I just, I just felt bad. Like I felt, it's hard to explain, but it was like my brain got smaller. I, I feel like I literally was like, like the thoughts that you have in your head stopped and i at, at the time i was into spiritual stuff so i'm like wow maybe all this meditation is really paying off like my my mind is <laughs> is growing quiet i'm i'm getting the benefits i'm becoming a yogi but no it was it was this fish oil
1: <laughs> yeah man i don't that at that time i was megadosing dosing that stuff i don't think i
0: knew who i was or what i was feeling
1: and so it'd be impossible to comment on it but yeah that's uh so those benefic- beneficial things you mentioned maybe it was because it inhibited the prostaglandins or something like that like that is a possibility and th- I think that's why people stick with fish oil cuz it sometimes can reduce pain or make some problem less bad and so i, I think there is merit to it but at a, like we talked about like at a great expense it's not yeah like taking aspirin would be less risky than taking the fish oil. Area. So,
0: there's actually a group on Facebook of type 1 diabetics who have kids who then they test for the type 1 diabetic uh, immune system markers. And they've gotten really good at it so that they can test your kid and they can be like, all right, he's got these antibodies for pancreatic islet cells. And so, he or she has a x percent chance of getting type 1 diabetes at some point in their future and and they've gotten really good to where they can be like yeah your kid's gonna get type 1 diabetes like like it's gonna happen and it does happen and one of their protocols is like mega doses of fish oil and it actually people who stay on this mega dose of fish oil they prolong i mean it doesn't last forever but you know some people who are going to get type 1 diabetes within you know when they were a teenager and their blood sugars were starting to look a little bit worse and you know their a1c was starting to creep up um they've been able to stave off type 1 diabetes and there some of them are in their 30s now and so it's it's kind of interesting like there's something there that it does that is like okay maybe there's some use there but like you said there are really steep costs
1: Yeah, I had never heard that before, but uh, again, the the prostaglandins are so problematic that anything that interferes with them might improve the situation. But I I can't recall correctly, but I'm almost positive that Ray recommends large doses of aspirin for type 1 diabetes. Mm. And so, and I think that, again, you would know more about this than I would, but I think the chronic release of free fatty acids and then their breakdown into prostaglandins is like the thing that's uh, not letting the... um, (laughs) the beta cells regenerate like uh and so again i think that's the etiology of that disease is um ray talks about it much more eloquent than i can yeah
0: so let's let's talk a little bit about the uh because you live at a higher elevation in mexico right yeah yeah Yeah. i think six thousand feet or so how high up are you two thousand meters or i think that's six thousand feet okay so let's Talk a little bit about the potential benefits there because I know that's one that probably many people haven't heard about of of the health benefits of living at a higher elevation.
1: Yeah, so that, I think that ties back to thyroid hormone. Like thyroid is the hormone of respiration that's stimulating the, the consumption of oxygen and glucose to make carbon dioxide, water, and ATP. And then the carbon dioxide is often thought of as like a waste product, but I think in Ray's whole point of view and then also like what Christian Bohr pointed out, uh, the, via the Bohr effect that the carbon dioxide uh, dissociates oxygen from hemoglobin, better allowing uh, cells, tissues, and organs to absorb it. And I think that's happening after adaptation uh, when you get to high altitude. So your body can is, has more carbon dioxide and it stimulates cellular respiration and the consumption of oxygen. And it just makes the system run a lot smoother and I think that whole process dampens the need for the activation of the stress systems, and it gets to a it gets to a, like have you ever heard Ray talk about like carb amino groups on proteins and stuff? It gets like really granular, mm. uh, an area I think only maybe Ray or Georgie could get into, talking about how like it reinforces the proteins and the um, d- absorb water on cells and things like that. It's like it's like a basic stabilizing factor like uh, progesterone or or thyroid. And the, I guess the more of it you're exposed to during your lifetime, the healthier you'll be, or the more resistant to stress you'll, you'll be, or, and, and to be honest with you living here for a few years, like I couldn't tell you, Oh, it does X, Y, and Z to me. But I, I think there are, I do have a lot of good days in Mexico, whereas when I would travel to Japan or go to Thailand or go to Malaysia or go wherever, uh, I think there were some like kind of like down days and I just like barely ever feel like that here. Hmm. And so maybe the carbon dioxide is just, um, I don't know, making me slightly more resistant to stress or depression or whatever.
0: Yeah, I I sometimes go camping. Um, One of the cool things about Arizona is it does have a lot of different environments. And so I'll go camping up at 8,000 feet. I always feel so much different up there versus down here in Phoenix, which is like 1,500 or so. Yeah, I think...
1: I don't know if 6,000 feet is enough to really notice a huge difference, but I think Raylan was talking about 8,000 or 10,000 or 12,000 being a huge difference. And so I still need to go to uh, what is like La Paz or something. I need to go to somewhere that has really high elevation to see if it makes any difference.
0: Do you uh, Do you like any of those contraptions or whatnot to try and increase your carbon dioxide intake, whether that's like the baths or uh, the tents you sleep in? I mean, have you tried any of those out?
1: No. I, I, My friends here were going to go buy a, a tank like of carbogen or carbon dioxide, but I don't think they ever did. <laughs> so I would have like inhaled some or put it on my arm or something to see what it did. But I've... It's... It's embarrassing. I've been into Ray's work for 10 years, but I've, n- I've never had any
0: direct experience with carbon dioxide. Wow that's uh, that is actually really surprising. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's definitely something I tried out. I went and got some tanks fill, filled with CO2 and, and breathed it in and I don't know I, I can't say I, I noticed much
1: in my in my defense i think i was thinking about it in uh, san francisco but i walked everywhere like i refused to take taxis <laughs> and uh, the store that i could fill this thing up at was like across san francisco and i think i i was like there's no way you're gonna be walking back and forth with this heavy tank um <laughs> but yeah man i, w- I want to try it because i i get the impression that it, ray uses it f- frequently like he sits in bags of it and, and things like that but hey, i need to try yeah, it
0: dude's gonna live to like 120. Hope so. Yeah. yeah so speaking of ray you you recently did a show and somebody asked you you know what do you think ray is wrong about and uh, i think you mentioned bitcoin <laughs> but you didn't really have any health topics that you mentioned so i mean you've had tons of interactions with ray do you i mean are there any health topics do you that you think that he's maybe i don't know maybe not wrong but misguided or, or maybe he's not focusing on something relevant
1: See, it's like such a trick question i'm not saying you're because if i say i i know it just makes me sound like a dogmatic loser you know but i, I just think his whole view uh is so coherent and fits together so well like for example there's like a raging debate about uh vitamin d right now and i think that d- the debate is like laughable because vitamin d fits in with the anti-stress substances like progesterone and, and thyroid and things like that, but they're not viewing th- things like the anti-vitamin D are not viewing things through this energetic context. So their view fits in with whatever model they're viewing health from, but it doesn't make any sense to me because vitamin D has so many like pro-energetic or anti-stress effects. Yeah, and so I so the other thing about this is I don't totally understand a lot of what Ray is talking about, and so <laughs> it's like. Like, so if Ray is, is saying like something about like carbon monoxide or something and I don't fully grasp where carbon monoxide like fits into cellular respiration and stress and stuff, like I'd have to be some an idiot to say like, oh yeah, I don't agree with him about that or something It's mm-hmm. like I don't I' mean just his stupid a- apprentice that he never wanted, you know, like trying to figure out what he's talking about. And um, but yeah to be honest, no, I've n- I, nothing he said ever, Like, I'd be honest with you, I'd tell you if something he said me the wrong way or something. To to be honest, Bitcoin was like the only thing that I was like, I think you could possibly be wrong about that because he has a real negative view of like digital culture, but not not to change the subject here, but I'm almost convinced that it's, um, I think he thinks it's like a CIA, NSA thing, but I'm not really convinced that it is. But, but anyways, that's awesome.
0: I think we got a good title for the show. Danny Roddy, Ray's (laughs) Stupid Apprentice He Never Wanted. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that would
1: be the optimal title, I think, of the show.
0: Okay. Well, I, I haven't heard of this vitamin D debate. What is the debate over? I don't get it. Oh, yeah. It's
1: uh, difficult to say. So you take colocalciferol or vitamin D3. It's hydroxylized in the liver to... Um, oh, shoot. What's the... Other? Cal- yeah, the I, I
0: forget The, the activated yeah. form or whatever.
1: Yeah. yeah, And then it activates again going to the kidneys and uh, calcitriol or calc- calcitriol or something. Uh, so that's like the... The 25D is the one made in the liver, and then the 125 is the one made in the kidneys. And I won't really talk about it too much more because I just I just wrote a huge article on it. And uh, I, I'd, I'd turn people to that article to see if they were interested in this debate or whatever. But it, it's kind of silly in my point of view. And I only wrote the article. It's on uh, uh, com or com. And the only reason I wrote that is the people promoting the idea that it's bad have large audiences. And so, you know, that quote, like, the uh, a lie can circle the world while truth is still putting on our boots. Mm-hmm. Like, that's kind mm-hmm. of what's happened. It's It's gone rampant. And, uh, like, there are very few people to defend vitamin D. And to be honest with you, I think it's like a life changing thing. Like, thyroid, vitamin D, antibiotics, those are some things that, um, I don't think of myself as some amazing specimen or whatever, but like those had a powerful impact on different aspects of my health, you know, uh, especially vitamin D. And so I, I, I want to stick up for it because I think it's a useful therapy. And I'm kind of like, I kind of think taking it off the table and saying that it's toxic is like a tragic thing. Mm. And I would act the same way if somebody said thyroid was toxic or progesterone was toxic. I would just laugh and think that it was a laughable argument
0: yeah that is interesting I, I wonder why they think it's so toxic because i've heard specific arguments about vitamin d like there's a specific argument about people who have sarcoidosis and it being this infection and vitamin d suppresses part of the immune system that kills that infection and so it's like this very narrow like yes for these people vitamin d is bad but i've never heard like oh it's just toxic that just doesn't make any sense
1: uh <laughs> I'm hesitant to say any of their names on here. I can send you material on it. I don't know if you want to go down the rabbit hole. It's just kind of it's kind of silly to me. But um, I'm not saying I'm above it or whatever. But it, but again, it's like trying to like you know better than anybody. There are different like uh, if I take um, I don't know like different like the, a low carb point point of view of health, and I try to like merge it with the bioenergetic stuff. Or the thyroid or stress model, like it's going to be completely incompatible, and that that's kind of how I view this anti-vitamin D argument. Like it doesn't make any sense when you're connecting it with the, the thyroid stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know. It's just like an incoherent mess that oh, people are like uh, these uh, influencers on Instagram are. It's like it's like Instagram health people that don't don't read anything and just post on Instagram to like uh, get large followings and people. yeah.
0: You you mentioned uh, antibiotics too. Um, I know those have made a big difference for you. I think I read something about you taking them and them helping you with milk. Uh, can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah. So uh, one of the huge problems I had when getting into raised stuff was my digestion was just a mess and it was even worse with milk. And so when I was trying to consume milk, I was just, the diarrhea was even worse. And so I was like, what am I going to do here? <laughs> like, I want to get into raised stuff, but I can't drink milk. And one of the things that I thought about was I could drink milk perfectly as a kid, like I had no issues. And so I was like, "What the what the hell happened to me? Like, what what is going on?" And I think Ray, in an interview, said that he thought the loss of the lactase enzyme could occur from like uh, endotoxin, like chronic endotoxin, and that he had said m- multiple places that if a bacterial overgrowth was um, really bad, that a person might want to use penicillin VK. Or erythromycin or tetracycline or minocycline or doxycycline. And I was at the end of my rope, you know, I was like living with people, like running the bathroom is just like horribly embarrassing and things. And I was like, I gotta do something. And and I had heard up until then that taking antibiotics were the worst things you could possibly do. And I just kind of had to set all of that aside. And I I think I one of my first emails to Ray was like, Where do you get penicillin? And he sent me a link to a Mexican drugstore. I got some. And I would say within about two weeks of taking it, I could comfortably drink goat milk. And to me, that was just like absolutely incredible because it bugged my stomach so much. And I, I was just so intolerant to milk. It was not funny. And so th- that was a, uh, aside from the eggshell calcium and then the antibiotics, these were just huge problems that I was having that were rectified like very mm. quickly by these unorthodox things that Ray was talking about. And so like a hundred of those fell into place, and I was like, "Oh man, maybe this guy's onto something."
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, I, I have a similar story of I took, I think, three different rounds of antibiotics: minocycline, azithromycin, and erythromycin, and it really did change, like like there's a period before those antibiotics, and there's a period after those antibiotics. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,, yeah, it's pretty amazing. So one thing I am really interested in hearing from people like yourself, uh, who have you know this, a lot of experience, you have years, years and years in this health world, is what wisdom you have learned after all these years.
1: <laughs> oh man, that's kind of uh, broad, but <laughs> I I take well I, I, in terms of like talking to people, like I, I try to take the best I can, like a very Carl Rogerian, Rogersian Rogerian approach. Um, meet like trying to meet everybody where they where they are, you know, not complexifying things too much and validating ideas and thoughts, just how Ray does it, you know and yeah, like uh because as you know, like every things I did in 2011 or 12 are way different from what I do now, but it was just a big developmental process of learning trial and error and things and, well, I guess what I'm trying to say is respecting other people's journeys, you know, and not trying to say, "Oh, you got to do this, or you got to do that, or you got to take this, or you got to take that." It's like things. If Ray has another quote. It's like things make no sense until they make the right sense, and you just have to respect that. And and I and I again, not to keep gushing about Ray, but that I think he does that very well, and he validates people's ideas and thoughts. And I've even asked Ray about crazy things, and he he never said, "No, don't do that." He just kind of, um, like promoted my interest in the subject so I could figure it out myself. And so I guess I try to pass that down to like, uh, or, or embody that when I'm talking to people, because again, I don't, I don't think the approach of like, Oh, you talk to me and then I fix you is, is real, Mm -hmm. but I know that's a big thing in the health world. And I don't, I don't like it. I don't, I don't want to act that way. And I, I, and I don't think that's really a way anybody gets better because, I'm so far removed from the person I'm talking to, and in a, in a Rogerian approach, like I think a person has the tools inside themselves to fix their problem, and sometimes just talking to somebody can uh, like invigorate the senses to, to do this or to do that or to try this or try that and, and hopefully move a person in a better direction.
0: Are there any big things that you used to believe that you discovered, like, wow, this is just wrong?
1: Um, well, I used to be a very naturalistic tendency, like, oh, I can't do that because it's not natural or our ancestors didn't do that. And yeah, I would say that was a, that's a huge shift. Like, I don't believe that at all mm. <laughs> anymore, you know, uh, not to beat a dead horse. But I think our our, our environment is so terrible that a person uh, – I think it's a good idea to investigate all tools at a person's disposal to try to defend from – kind of the degenerative effects of stress from the environment and so again the the example i always give is like you and i are talking to, together but there are cell phone towers are radiating us while we're talking and then maybe our computer our cell phone is in routers contributing to that as well and and if i open the window behind me a car is going to go by and i'm going to inhale exhaust like that's not a natural environment you know yeah. So, and that's not even to speak of the things that happened to us when we were born or like I had asthma when I was a kid and had like those albuterol inhalers and stuff. And so, and then x-rays, like dental x-rays and stuff. Like I I had many of those growing up. And so again, I'm saying, I'm trying to say we're all being harmed 24 seven. And I think obviously you have to eat food and that's a good tool in the toolbox. But the great thing about Ray is I think he's Ah, uh, kind of uncovered a big swath of really safe, useful therapies to try to hopefully shift a person in a better direction. And, but again, not everybody's open to the idea of using antibiotics or thyroid or or whatever. And so, and it's not my job to force them to. It's just uh, those are on the table, and and I, I think they can be very powerful when used appropriately.
0: Yeah, that that's definitely something I used to believe too. That you know, if it wasn't natural, it was probably pretty bad for you. But. Uh, you know, like my experience with the antibiotics, it's like, wow, this, this really made a difference and no herb was going to do this. Like this, yeah, you know, exactly. <laughs> this had to be that. And even, uh, like ivermectin, I don't know. Have you tried ivermectin?
1: I've never tried. I never had even heard heard about it until COVID So started. I
0: tried it recently for a show. Um, I, I told people how to use it if they wanted to use it and stuff and it made me feel great. I'm like, wow, this stuff is awesome. And yeah, you just won't you won't come across those things. I mean, obviously, there are risks with drugs, and you have to be smart about it. but um it can really it can really open things up in ways that you you have no idea
1: yeah. and and if you're focused on developing yourself and stuff, and I, I think they can be a huge boon because again, I, I there are lots of bottlenecks in the environment that are just going to keep a person down in the state of health that they they are currently in. It's hard to move forward when you're being poisoned at like every turn.
0: Okay, so what uh, what are some of the... You've mentioned a few, but what are some of your favorite supplements or and or drugs that you take?
1: Thyroid is really one of the most <laughs> important, I think. So I use uh, Sinoplus and Sinomel. They're actually sold in Mexico. And people all over the world order them. I've talked to people in Malaysia, Singapore, Australia, Japan, uh, Canada, parts of Europe, and everybody orders from these Mexican drugstores, stores and very few people get their packages turned away from customs. And just before we get into this, I don't sell any supplements I don't have any connections to any supplement manufacturers aside from Georgie being my friend, but we don't have like any relationship in business. Um, but the, the, that Sinoplus and Sinomel though, I really heavily rely on those. In fact, it just got a little bit colder in Mexico. So like I increased my Sinoplus dose because I was getting a little cold. Uh, that. Uh, yeah, it would sound like a dead, uh, 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 a broken record here. But the vitamin D, I use that on my skin almost every day, even if I lay out on my roof. Uh, vitamin K, I really like that as well. I think that's like the counterpart to vitamin D. Aspirin, uh, I think that's really useful. Um, what else? And then maybe starting in 2018, I got a little bit into putting progesterone and DHEA on my legs before bed. And that's I really keep it very minimal with supplement stuff. And but those are the big big ones that I think have a reliable um, effect. Like they they do stuff. So I I keep taking them because they do reliable. things. Yeah.
0: Have you ever tried uh, RU four eighty six? Because that that's one that Georgie mentions all the time. Georgie talks about that's like legendary that he talks about <laughs> that drug. I've never used it before, but I think it's like a an analog
1: or derivative of progesterone. So I think the the fact of him bringing it up is uh it's like so well researched or something at, at like terminating the stress response or something.
0: yeah so for those who don't know are you 486 is the abortion pill correct like that's that's like the morning after pill yeah, yeah. i i don't know that much about. yeah it. so it's some type of progesterone and you take it and uh you know for women if they think they're pregnant it will abort a fetus uh, because it stops some hormone that needs that, that's needed for the gestation to go on but like Georgie, I think he recently said like it snaps your cells out of a stressed state, and so it like cures type two diabetes or maybe even cancer. And I, when I heard that, I'm like, what? That's 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 insane. <laughs> like if that's true, don't we shouldn't we know that? Like,
1: <laughs> well, that. Well, that's one of the things that Ray I think talks a lot about how uh, like the stress metabolism and cancer metabolism are not that different. You know. Or like a, st- a cell being stuck in glycolysis and making lots of lactic acid is like basically exactly what Otto Warburg uh, found to be the like primary effect of like a-, a cancer cell. And so, yeah, I think, I, again, I'm not an expert on cancer, but I think that cachexia is because the cortisol is so high and it's like tearing down a person's tissues. And um, and yeah, anything to oppose cortisol, if that's what RU486 uh, did, like that would probably be very useful in that situation.
0: So one question i like to ask my guests is, and it, and it doesn't have to be a long-winded thing, it can be a tweet or, or whatnot, but uh, what do you think is the worst health advice that you hear that's pretty popular out there? And I'm sure you have lots of examples, but what do you think the worst one is?
1: May, I guess I just have a knee-jerk re, knee reaction to authorities. So I'd like run for the hills of anybody saying that you need to do X, Y, and Z because I, I know better than you do. So I, I guess that's my like biggest pet peeve in the, the health world. And that's what I love about Ray so much because he's so good at stimulating a person's own curiosity without telling them what to do. And so I, I don't know if that fits your question, but just like the authoritarianism in the health world is like the biggest turn off to me. And maybe I don't like it so much because I used to be so, so much of that. Like, uh, like when I first got into Ray's work, I was very I, – I thought I had like uncovered this treasure trove of information. I was like one of the first ones to find it. And I was a total loser, and I I was very authoritarian about it. And I think over time, I, I kind of rejected a lot of the philo- philosophy stuff in the beginning because I thought I didn't care about it. But over time, it's just become so much more important to me. And so, so yeah, I, that's kind of a non-answer to your question. But that, that's the thing I hate the most about the health world.
0: Well, I'm, I'm pretty much out of questions, I think. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, I, I didn't ask you about your diet. So are you doing the like milk and orange juice or, or what are you doing these days
1: it's very similar to what i post on my instagram like uh the danny roddy weblog on instagram and so i like at the moment i have a really good milk source and so i probably drink two or pro- more like three liters of milk per day um fruits like guava and chirimoya and orange when they're available but recently they haven't been very available lots of coffee uh uh, lamb shank or oxtail, uh, mushrooms, eggs, and oysters. That's uh, Par- Par- Parmigiano Reggiano cheese, oysters. And then that's been kind of the hard, I'm sure there's something I'm forgetting, but that's, that's, uh, those are the
0: big ones right now. Yeah, man, you're, you're living the repeat lifestyle there.
1: <laughs> I have to say that I didn't always eat this way and it, and it just kind of uh, organic organically developed uh, over a long period of time, you know? And, uh, yeah, I, and, I, and I would never expect somebody to eat some way that they hated or something. Like I, I actually like all these foods and things, and so I'm perfectly satisfied. And at 36, I really couldn't do something that I
0: wasn't satisfied with. So how can people find you? Uh, what's your website, Twitter, all that all that fun stuff?
1: Just Danny Roddy everywhere. And so it, uh, the Substack is the newest thing, so I think it's dannyroddy.substack.com. And I've been posting the podcast and then... The occasional article i
0: write on there. All right. I'll have those in the show notes. Um, are you coming out with any new books or anything like that? Exciting? N- no, just trying to survive the future. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. Well, uh, that's that's all I got for you. So uh, thanks for coming on.
1: Thank you for having me, Lucas. Total pleasure.
0: I really enjoyed talking with uh, Danny. I think it's interesting how our experiences With Ray Pete and his principles are so different. You know, I've found certain things Ray has said just really helpful. Um, His stuff on dopamine and like your direction and what it means to be healthy, I have just, I mean, it has changed my whole idea of what health is. Um, There's other things that he says that I find are not very helpful that didn't help me much at all. But it sounds like when Danny started following Ray's suggestions, they just clicked for him, which is awesome. I mean, I know it works like that for some people sometimes. So um, I do wish he had some more criticisms of Ray's ideas because often people who are the most familiar with a concept or theory can also show where it may be falling short. And, you know, every theoretical framework has shortcomings. So uh, I wish he had been able to go into that a little bit more, but uh, that's fine. Other than that, I really did enjoy talking with him, and he does have a great podcast where he talks with Ray and Georgie all the time, uh, and they poke holes in all the crazy health theories out there, so it's definitely fun, and I loved having him on. So next episode is going to be episode 100. The podcast has been going now for almost three years, which is crazy to think about, Uh, so I'm going to do something a little special and I'm going to have a best of episode with clips from the past, uh, past podcast clips that I thought were particularly impactful. I'm also going to have my top health discoveries that have worked and the ones that have failed miserably. So that should be out in the beginning of December. Uh, keep an eye out for it. Other than that, I hope you have a great Thanksgiving. I hope you spend some valuable time with your families. Be well.